Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, several months ago, I had Matt Schlapp and Justin Danoff on the show to talk about the issue we have in America and the world, really, about woke corporations and how companies and businesses have increasingly moved left and they're now in lockstep which, with, with what appears to be the Democrat agenda. Uh, unfortunately, in the time, the months that have passed, the issues have only gotten worse. Uh, you know, we're now seeing the big companies actively involved in critical race theory indoctrination. Uh, the vaccine mandates are they're really acting as an arm of the Biden administration and enforcing uh, um, the mandates. And, uh, you know, many of the big companies that are doing multinational business are making communist or making common cause with the Chinese Communist Party. And that's only growing. Uh, the climate change agenda, uh, Justin's going to talk about it uh, in ECG, environmental social governance, well, that, that's a very, very mild uh, acronym for something really sinister that we'll, we'll be getting into. And then the other thing we want to talk about is how in the last year or so, two years or so since the lockdown, the big companies have really benefited. They're on the right side of the digital divide. And small American businesses, ordinary Americans have really been crushed in this, uh, in this last uh, 18 to 24 months. Uh, and then drawing in yet another factor here, we've got the administrative state, the Federal Reserve, and the Securities and Exchange Commission are promulgating rules now, which uh, uh, are, <laughs> I mean, they basically are going to send America into bankruptcy and, and rob us of most of our freedoms. It's, it's not a pretty scenario. I wish I were here to talk about baseball, but I'm not. We've got to talk about saving the country. By the way, it's also uh, inflicted harm on baseball. <laughs> well, thanks to you. <laughs> anyway, Matt Schlapp just chimed in here. Chap, Matt is, the, as, as we all know, is chairman of the American Conservative Union, which, which sponsors the CPAC conference. And he founded Cove Strategy, and he's been an advisor to corporations for, for the last several decades and has a lot of interesting insights into how they think and how they're acting. Justin Danoff is our newly promoted, it's great, this is great news, Executive Director, Executive Vice President of the National Center for Public Policy, and Justin's been waging a, a lonely battle for this creeping socialism on the corporate front, and now is beginning to gather a lot of, an, of allies and picking up steam in your fight. So, Justin, uh, let's jump right into what I mentioned, the government with the SEC and the Federal Reserve and what they're trying to do in, uh, to our corporations. Sure. So, like, you know, thanks, Bill. I guess the way I would frame it is last time we talked, there was a two-headed Goliath of activist shareholders teamed up with huge passive investment firms on Wall Street to dictate corporate America's actions. Now we have a three-headed Hydra. Okay, we went from a two-headed Goliath to a three-headed Hydra. Why do I say that? Because the Biden administration is singing out of the same songbook as those activist investors, and they're doing it through the agencies. They're doing it through the Securities and Exchange Commission, and they're doing it through the Federal Reserve. How are they doing it through the Federal Reserve? Well, the mandate of the Federal Reserve is a, is a twofold mandate. It's to keep prices stable, which I don't think they're doing a very good job of that right now. Um, if you've been to the gas station or the Seven, eight percent inflation, <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, I don't like to brag about rich purchases, purchases I make, but I just got back from the gas station. So, um, right. 
and, 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 to, <laughs> and to maximize employment. Those are their, those are their, their dual mandate. Except Jay Powell has now said climate risk is part of our mandate. Well, how? How did that get written in? It's absolutely not. So what are they going to do? What actions are they taking? Well, right now they are strongly encouraging banks when they do their stress tests to include the stress of climate risk. And what's a stress test for those who don't know? Well, it was put in under the terrible Dodd-Frank Act where banks have to forward look about eight to nine uh, quarters how they would perform if there was a financial collapse. So would they be able to withstand a financial problem here in the United States of America? And of course, what does that mean? That means the Biden administration through the Fed is trying to dictate bank decision making when it comes to fossil fuel investments, for example. So it's just like they did under Obama. They're picking winners and losers. They want to promote uh, clean energy and um, demote fossil fuels. This is not the job of the Federal Reserve folks. Uh, what's, what's the Securities and Exchange Commission up to? Well, they're up to no good. Uh, Gary Gensler is put in at the, at the head of the SEC, uh, was approved by the Senate, and him and especially Commissioner Allison Heron-Lee, they are on a full-blown ESG agenda. Uh, that's environment, social, and corporate governance, as you mentioned. And again, when folks hear ESG, their eyes gloss over. Just remember, it's whatever a liberal is trying to achieve through business. That's all ESG <laughs> is. That's the definition. That's the simplest way to understand it. So what are they doing? They are proposing changing 75 years of securities law. Under securities law, there's something called the materiality standard. And it's quite simply defined as what an investor or potential investor needs to know to make a decision on either investing in a company or a proxy vote. Well, what is now going to be defined as material is whether your company runs critical race theory trainings or not, whether you've diversified your board under affirmative action policy or not, and whether you're tied to the Paris Climate Accord or not. That's the goal of Gary Gensler and Allison Heron-Lee at the SEC. Matt, you've been inside the boardrooms. I have, too. How do you think they're responding to this? Are they, are they complicit? Are they saying, fine, we want to go along with this? Is this something that it, the, the feds are imposing on these corporations, or do we have, uh, or are they making common cause here? I think they didn't realize the cost. Yeah. Um, you know, these are practical people who think in probably five-year stints, right? I got a five-year period of time to... Well, the average CEO is on the job for about four and a half or five years. Well, there you go, right? It's not just the... It's not just the term of their contract. It's become fashionable to kind of swap CEOs. Maybe the next guy will have a few more tricks to, you know, bump up the stock price. And I can't imagine that they're this un-American and that they care so little about the long-term profits of their company. They'd be so risky. I think they must be surrounded by people who explain that there's all upside to embracing green energy. There's all upside to embracing CRT that America and they uh, probably get shown a lot of phony polling about how Americans have really embraced all this. You can see in politics with uh, the election of Barack Obama and others that you know this whole idea of transforming America is probably seen as a very positive thing. And what happened along the way, Bill, is that they've really, um, for lack of a better term, given the middle finger to all of their natural allies, their customers, a lot of their employment base, the Republican Party, which. I spent a lot of my time complaining about, but it's the only thing when you look at the, this new socialist party on the other side that a business 
can view as an ally politically when you're talking about out-of-control regulations and taxes. So I think there's been a huge and massive misplay here of their hand, and I don't think they realize what's going to happen um, as they face real challenges. You know, the death of George Floyd was a tragedy, yeah. right? The real challenge comes into this country when we have racial animosity like we've had in our past, which is what they're trying to foment. What does the CEO do then when you're looking at chaos in all of our streets? Well, I think the CEO probably <laughs> is looking at his watch thinking, I've only got a year left or I something I get to like go, that. I'm going to be in Hawaii uh, in four I got, and a half years. And Yeah, I, I think that's the problem. We've got a lot of short-term CEOs, people in the C-suites that know they're going to be out of there. They're not, they don't have to think long-term. And, you know, one of our favorite presidents was an America first guy. Sometimes I feel like most of these CEOs are America last guy. And they're not really looking at the impact of what their policies are, what they do in ordinary Americans. They're looking at what the, you know, what's in the, what's in the interest of them globally. Uh, but how much, how much of this is just cynicism? I mean, the ESG thing, they're all paying lip service to it. It seems like every fund on Wall Street's got an ESG product they're pushing, and everybody feels good about it. But is there, is substantively, when people start thinking about corporations initiating a CRT agenda, what are, what, what's happening? Well, substantively, if you look at the ESG funds, one of the number one held stocks in almost every single ESG fund is Apple. How green are they in China? Exactly. Right. So a lot of it, a lot of it's a farce. So when Larry Fink at BlackRock sells an ESG fund, again, they're holding Chinese companies in these funds very often. They're holding companies that are, you know, they may divest from some oil and natural gas companies, but that's about it. Otherwise, again, Apple being the number one health fund in most ESG, it just goes to show you what they really are. And the cynical part is. He's selling to gullible liberals at an increased margin, the ESG funds. Really, they could just buy an index fund and probably do just as well, right? But he gets to charge more for that. So he's making, he's actually being capitalist in that sense, that he's making money off gullible liberals by telling them, if you invest in this fund, you're going to save the world. That bears, Apple's that, not that saving bears the world. repeating. You buy an index fund that's got Microsoft, Apple, you know, Alphabet, all the, all the digital divide companies. And then you buy an ESG fund, and they're the same stocks. Right. And yet, if you buy an ESG fund, you get to pay Larry Fink 75 basis points. In an index fund, it's what, 25 basis points? That's exactly right. And on $10 trillion, that really adds up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, this look, ESG is just <coughs> the most current iteration of you know what SRI used to be and others. And again, it's just these feel-good funds that are being sold, again, to folks on the left who think that they are saving mankind by giving Larry Fink more of their money. Larry Fink, I think we established this. He's the CEO of BlackRock. Yeah, BlackRock, the largest passive asset manager in the world. And I think that his role in all of this can't be overstated, frankly. So we, we talked a little bit about this last time, but we, we really ought to explore it more. BlackRock is the reason in May that there was three liberal climate change dissidents put on ExxonMobil's board. Okay, how did they? How did we get to this point? Well, for the longest time, they were not, were not only dissidents; they didn't think they should be in the fossil fuel business. Their whole goal is to mothball the company. Yeah, this is their stated purpose of being on the board: is to put the company out of business. 
how did we get here? Again, talk about anti-American. Um, what happened was in 2018, Larry Fink came out with a statement that said, look, for the longest time, it was industry practice that we don't vote the shares, right? We have millions of different investors. We don't vote on our corporate proxies because that would be sort of presumptuous to assume we know what the millions of disparate investors want. But presumptuous is exactly what he decided to do that year. And so he started voting on all of these proxies for all of his shareholders and all of his investors. So think about that. He took that on himself. He changed the entire paradigm of the large passive asset managers. And then State Street and Vanguard followed suit because Wall Street's such a follow the leader game, right? And so now we have, again, 62% of the vote this year at a Chevron shareholder meeting said they needed to decrease their scope three emissions. Scope three emissions are in everything, folks. What, what, everything what, what's, what's the scope? Uh, you, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Justin Danoff and, and Matt Schlapp, and I'm about to learn what a scope three emission is. <laughs> <laughs> what is a scope three emission? Well, it, it's just, it's, it's the carbon emissions, um, you know, granularized down, essentially, is all that that is. But that means it's in everything that Chevron puts out. And so that vote's not real. That vote's rigged, and it's corrupt. And Larry Fink had a lot to do with that. And this, this is just going to get worse by the year, again, because the SEC has now changed just a couple of weeks ago. They came out with a guidance for this upcoming shareholder season. And I almost don't even want to give it away in case there's a liberal group that didn't see it, but they all, I'm sure, did. They're probably not watching this show. <laughs> That's right. Good point. You're, you're among friends here. <laughs> <laughs> that shareholder proposals don't have to have anything to do with the company anymore. So I can file a proposal with Walmart, Apple, whatever, as long as the SEC says <coughs> it's a social issue that it's important. So companies have to address George Floyd, even if it has nothing to do with their business. They have to address the Paris Climate Accord, even if it has nothing to do with their business. The SEC is literally saying shareholders can file anything no matter what, and the companies have to deal with it. So what we're seeing is a convergence from listening to you, Justin, of the Democratic playbook, which is take a very radicalized agenda, like something like we shouldn't use fossil fuels. I don't think we quite understand how radicalized that is, right? This is taking America's strength, which we turned into America's strength through God's blessings and our innovation, and trying to take it off the table. We've already taken coal largely off the table. China has something like $50 billion of coal projects all over the world. One, one plant a week. Yeah, one plant a one week. One new plant a week. So, I mean, the, the, all we're doing is seeding our advantages left and right. But the Democrats have always had this ability. The reason why Donald Trump called it the swamp is they're hardwired into it. And they can take any policy and dictate every independent agency and part of federal government, and then it can move into allies in the states, that they must have a certain percentage of their budget that's aimed at this goal. You name it, and they do it. The issue now is, is that you've got that hardwired federal bureaucracy working in tandem with the richest people in the country. Now, how did that happen? Now, the people gained their people, I'm told, people like Jeff Bezos, who's not an intimate of mine, um, that these people, uh, are very focused on making money and growing their companies. They do see the fad of being on the cover of Vanity Fair and being accepted by the jet set uh, like we've never seen before. And they've been able to be profitable even while running up against people who should be their political allies, like I talked about, conservative grassroots activists and Republicans or, or whatnot. 
It is the Elon Musk of the world, who I think were probably very progressive. Once again, not an intimate of mine, but he he finds this the the creator of electric uh, the modern version of the electric car finds this all repugnant. It's a very unique person that's saying, you know, I don't want a part of that. And the combination of these two things, I think, presents a terrible problem. So what's CPAC going to do about it? Well, I think we have this real question about um, how do you work for a big company? So yeah. if you're if you got a couple of kids and you work for a Fortune 50 company, how can you not embrace uh all the radical forms of transgenderism for four-year-olds and uh, critical race theory. Um, if you're white and Christian and straight male, you're apologizing to the world for having those traits. Um, you know, there's a very there's a grave sadness that's being incubated in young American boys who can't escape this idea that they're evil, that they're that they're that they're a scourge. On the earth, and I think CPAC and grassroots groups like us, we've got to start speaking up for these people. We've got to start standing behind these people. I think it's the most critical thing our country faces, which is the destruction of our citizenry because they don't check the right boxes. And who's against them? The rich, the powerful, and of course, government. So we're getting to a convergence here. If you work for one of these big companies, you've got to toe the line. I mean, well, you're out. The vaccine mandate's only the latest, but certainly, if you don't want to take critical race theory training, you're out. You're out. If you don't want to, if you if you don't think the corporation should be, in you know, by the way, this whole climate change thing, I think we've established at at the root, it's a group of people who believe in degrowth. They don't believe in economic growth or people or people. They think people the, popul are the population, mm -hmm. human beings, are the biggest problem the earth has. We had to shrink the economy. So here I am, newly minted CEO of a public company, and I'm supposed to now degrowth. I mean, there, that, that's... Let me just bring up something else. The politicization of our churches, too. I'm a, <coughs> Roman, I'm a Roman Catholic, and to hear my pope, who I pray for, um, embrace the radicalism of the climate change agenda and fail to grasp that the central, the central thrust of the climate change agenda is to depopulate the globe and to prevent people from making their choices on their offspring. That is the main thrust of that whole movement. People are the biggest emitters of carbon and car CO2. And uh, you know, it's just it's there's there's almost like a great confusion out there. So two things I think. You're doing a great job of explaining to people what the problem is. We have to marry your your understanding of what's going on in these boardrooms and what's going on in these shareholder meetings with information for the American people to rise up because they've shown a great desire to rise up in the last few weeks. So, Justin, what's your group doing to popularize what your work is? You know, just it's a little arcane. I mean, these big corporations, they send out something called a proxy. What on earth is a proxy? Well, it's just simply a way to get shareholders to vote for various things. It used to be in the old days. Um, we want you to vote for these directors, and we want to issue more shares and and a couple things like that. Now it's got, as you point out, every single agenda on the planet because anybody that owns 100 shares can drop their proposal in there. Yeah, so uh, we're doing a couple things. First of all, if you come to nationalcenter.org, anybody who's an investor who wants to steal one of my proposals, they're not hidden. Take them, multiply them. Um, 
When the left files shareholder proposals demanding affirmative action for boards of directors, we file shareholder proposals demanding viewpoint for boards of directors. Those are, you know, those are all readily available. And I think that um, another thing that we need to do a lot more of is educate folks on the voting aspect of the, the, the problem that we've got here. And we did, we, we've done two things. Um, we have the first ever voter guide for conservative investors. It's called the Investor Value Voter Guide. It's free. Anybody can come to our website, download it, and it shows you. And do you work with Kevin Freeman on this too? Um, Kevin's promoted it absolutely okay. on the Economic yeah. War Room. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been a, a great ally in promoting it. But it's yeah, it's the first ever voter guide. We put it out every spring. Um, again, it's free. It's easy to use. Uh, we know everyone's very busy, but these resolutions are truly corrupting our culture on everything. You know, CRT didn't just spring up in business by happenstance. It started with resolutions. Um, folks, you know, always ask, why is a shareholder resolution important? As you said, it's arcane. It changes the cultural needle. It moves the cultural needle. Again, three to four years ago, what did we have in, in the board space? It was this affirmative action push for corporate boards. It was pushed by the SEIU, Jesse Jackson, the As You So umbrella organization of liberal activists. That was three and four years ago. And then, of course, last year we had Goldman Sachs announce that they're not going to finance an IPO unless your board is particularly woke and diverse. And, Gold, and NASDAQ did the same thing. They said they're going to kick any company off their exchange that doesn't have a diverse board. So in three to four years, we have the agent of change in business going from Jesse Jackson to Goldman Sachs. That's why these are so important. And that's why we put out a free guide to help conservatives well, push back. You know, I guess I'm too grizzled on Wall Street because the Goldman Sachs made the announcement knowing fully well that all these corporations already had done that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, you, you know, we talked about something, employee of these big companies. How do you stand up to them? I mean, you guys are, we're, you know, I'm involved as, your, as a board member at CPAC. Uh, we're talking about a, a First Amendment fund to help people protect themselves uh, uh, when they're, fighting the government or fighting a big corporation. What's that about? Well, you know, when we talked with Justin a half a year ago, the new phenomenon was this, the, the realization that these corporations were essentially cutting the umbilical cord to the grassroots activists that support 85% of the for-profit nature of their enterprises. And over this period of time... What do you mean cutting the umbilical cord? They're well, just, think about it. They're, not, mean, they're just not going to care whether... Who, 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 who out there stands up politically for lower taxes and for reasonable legislation and, or regulation and for constitutionalist judges. It's your conservative activists. They're the ones who stand up and do all the hard work. The corporate people act like they have these brilliant PR campaigns, which are really hollow and tinny. It's really these activists that make sure that the right people get elected. Well, these people in the corporate boardrooms have become so haughty that they've separated. They don't want anything to do with these domestic terrorists, these insurrectionists, these scummy people in big, tall red hats. Um, and they think they can get it all done by hiring these PR firms, et cetera. And what we've seen is since that phenomenon is this idea that almost anybody who's espousing American traditional values and ideas is being destroyed unless they have the luxury of having independent means and they don't have to travel anywhere, and they don't have any kids that need to do anything. If you're in that category, you can have your views, and you're roughly left alone. But if you have to travel, we're days away, weeks away from them saying not only you have to have a vaccine, but you're going to have to have a booster, which they're talking about as we speak. 
Uh, if your kids are doing anything, they, they're suffering terrible uh, persecution for having their values. And, uh, and I think the, the Virginia political situation really brought it home to all of us. You know, I have had the luxury to not put my kids in public schools, and I've seen what the public schools are doing in my neighborhood, and I don't like it. And I don't want my kids learning that. And I don't like the idea that they're taking out the advanced science and math classes because apparently that's racist because the Asians are doing too well or whatever theory of the day uh, that's carrying the day. And so I have the luxury of putting my kids in Catholic school, but guess what? I'm still paying for those public schools. It's my money. Well, the new of definition of people of color is people of color minus ages, Asians. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's the Harvard. That's the so Harvard. we saw this in Virginia. You see that, yeah. you know, the only good thing that came out of uh, Chinese corona is that kids were home and parents started listening to history <clears> class. <throat> and it wasn't about history. It was about propagandizing this Marxism and stuff. And so what you see with cops and teachers, and I call them the hometown heroes, is they need a little help because they feel like they're alone. And so we started this fund, the First Amendment Fund, and we've already got seven figures uh, in the fund, which has happened very rapidly, to try to stand up for these folks who are trying to just live their life. Bill, they're not even trying to be particularly courageous or do something historic. They want to do things like this. Can you imagine? Decide whether or not they're going to take a shot. They want to decide whether or not they want their kids to be told at five years old that they can go around their parents and pick new pronouns and take chemicals to stop puberty. I mean, this is insanity. This is the end of civilization if we allow this to happen unchecked. And it will be these hometown heroes. It will be these hometown heroes that save America if it is to be saved. Uh, this is the Bill Walton Show, and I'm here talking with Matt Schlapp and Justin Danoff. And unfortunately, we're talking about things like the end of civilization. Uh, but it does feel like it. It does feel like it. It feels like you're being told, you know, if you're an employee, you got to do this, that, or the other. Or if you're a parent with a kid in a school that you're paying for, a public school, you're not allowed to weigh in. Uh, there's the, this, uh, Mark Meckler was on. He was, he, he ran Parler. And Parler got, you know, app, Amazon pulled the plug. And they had no, no ability to fight back. People said, well, why don't you sue Amazon? Do you know what Amazon spends a year on, on legal fees? Sure. I'll help. A billion dollars. So there you are. Even, you know, you're, you're some smaller company or individual. You're up against these, not just the government with unlimited resources, but these corporations have them as well. Uh, Matt, what is, how, does it, how much money are we going to raise in this fund? And can we go out and help, help protect people? Or, or, or if somebody has a cause, do you think we'll be able to take it up and get an army of of lawyers, hopefully pro bono, to well, help people I, fight I, for their liberty? I want to do a free advertisement for your efforts. I think um, I think if you had a lot more resources, I think you could do even more great work. I think the big problem with the conservative movement, which is not the conservative movement, Bill, as you and I always say, it's the American movement for Americans who love America. That's what this is about. We're, we have the capital going to the wrong places. And there's a market. We're going to go dip our toe in that market and see what the appetite is for investors. So far, the appetite's very good. We're just getting started. And look, I think, I think it's like a great journey starts with a step. And what I'm hearing from people is that they feel like they're in not only a digital gulag, where if they say anything out of bounds, they're dead, they're kicked out. They feel like they're professionally, you know, the whole idea of the ladder success is over for them. If they take one foot out of line, and I think we have to crush 
this movement that's happened in these corporate boardrooms. This has to, I'm going to use a little bit of profanity, it has to butt hurt here a little bit. This current crop of CEOs that care more about their golf score and how they look in their suit, instead of what really matters, we have to make them failures, those who have embraced all this. And maybe that starts with Larry Fink. Maybe he's too big a target. But I'd like to, I'd like to go after some of these folks who are literally persecuting their customers and employees. So it's the Alinsky strategy where we I'm pick okay somebody, we personalize it, and we make them feel that the whole world is watching what they're really doing. I like to be virtuous, but I'd also would like to take a few tricks out of the playbook of this of this desecration that's happening in this country. Look, I, I like to say everything you know we've ever done at the Free Enterprise Project, uh, we just copied the left because they did it in plain sight. So this can, they brag about it. Th th this can be accomplished, right? So. Again, they took over corporate boards intentionally the same way that, you know, tenure was put in place in higher education for the left to take over and blackball conservatives and traditional minded Americans. This was an intentional takeover of the corporate boards. So we can do the same exact thing because, my goodness, how cushy are these positions, right? You meet five, six times a year. You fly around in private Are you mean on the corporate boards? Yeah. If we just took out one or two, hey, I've been on a couple of those. They're yeah. they're pretty good gigs. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if we took out just one or two of the most woke board members in America. That would set an example, and it would put a chill because who are the only <coughs> folks in corporations that can hold these woke CEOs accountable? Well, their boards. And if the boards see their seat says, "Oh, maybe not quite as safe as it was last week." I think we could have some real boards of, boards of directors do not want personal publicity. That's exactly right. Bill, can I offer like a, a, a positive step forward out of this conversation? Um, that, that's what we're about. I think the three of us ought to get uh, some really great young researchers, and we ought to come up with the common board members for a lot of these companies that are pushing a lot of this crap. And we ought to get to know them, and we ought to make them famous, and we ought to make them own all of the things that are happening and that are hurting families and hurting children. And I think that might be part of the great American turnaround that could happen. Well, I think if you look at something like, let's pick it, the Ford Foundation. President of the Ford Foundation is on a lot of boards. Ford Foundation, Henry Ford would lose his mind with, with what they're doing. I mean, that somebody like that. And you... And then what do we do? We go and we start launching a proxy contest saying we don't think this person should be a director because he's pushing things, she's pushing things against our interest. Well, let's name him. Let's name names. It's Darren Walker. Um, and again, if we want to talk about, you know, we were talking earlier, what did CEOs do when Black Lives Matter came about? Well, who funds Black Lives Matter? The Ford Foundation and all these CEOs. And, and all these corporations. <laughs> all these corporations did in, in the summer of 2020. And, and well. if I could just say one thing on that. They funded an organization through Act Blue, right, and other places, which is the Democrat conduit for money on the left and to the Democratic Party. And what was the result? A lot of dead Americans in our streets. If conservatives had been responsible for that much murder and that much crime and that much destruction of property, you think somebody would have gotten sued? We need to use these tricks. Yeah, think think about it. Um, we talked about the divide, right, between the small, mid-sized businesses, the average Americans, and these large companies, you know, the digital divide, the, the wealth transfer. Well, Amazon is funding Black Lives Matter as they're burning and looting small shops in city streets all across America. So am who benefits from that doubly? Amazon. So they're funding the destruction of small businesses while they're making, you know, they're, they're record profits. 
think about the cynicism of that. Are we are we a minority report here, though? The thing I worry is that things that I did thought would be astonishing, like CRT indoctrination, surprising number of people, if you poll them, they think it's just fine. We ought to be learning about, you know, black heritage, even though we know it's a lie. I mean, we how do we... How do we get the word out the, 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 how, how, how bad this really is? Look, I, I would just like to say we've had the death of many things in our society, the death of media, the death of knowing where you can go to get news, um, the death of leadership, the death of institutions that we used to rely on that have let us down as they go woke and they go left and they go soft. I also think when it comes to these questions of polling, Bill, how are you going to answer a pollster? They got your number because they, they called you. How are you going to answer a no, pollster right. about you're questions right. of you're race right. I, I, yeah. and uh, forget, gender? Forget the polls. But no, but the secondary thing is, is this, which is even if you're not fearful of your standing, this idea of being decent to people and tolerant is American. And I think with a lot of polls on questions about these big woke questions, the immediate response of an average American is, I can live besides that person. I'm okay with that. They make their choices. I don't agree with them. I'm going to make my choices as long as they respect me. But of course, that's broken. And the person that has your values or your values or my values, they aren't acceptable. And I think the big thing that's going on behind those polls, when I see big numbers for things that I know are obnoxious to a majority of Americans, what's coming out is the fact that we still are decent and we still are tolerant. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great thing. I, I think we can look to Virginia, right? Because if we want to speak truth about CRT and truth about polling uh, on these types of issues, well, what did the left do? On, if you turned on CNN or MSNBC, they claimed there's no CRT in Virginia. That's not true at all. If CRT was good and noble, wouldn't they stand up for it and say, of course it's being taught because it's good and noble? But they know it's shameful. <laughs> in, 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 and so the left has to hide it. And again, if you're doing something good, let your light shine. They're, they're trying to, to hide it. And again, in corporate America, you know, Chris Rufo has been doing yeoman's work um, in, in getting whistleblowers to expose the CRT trainings across corporate America. Again, if it's such a good thing, why does it take a whistleblower going to Chris Rufo? We've had some come to us at the National Center. Why does it take a whistleblower to expose it if it's so good? So I think the fact that everyone who's doing it is trying to hide it speaks the truth to what it is. Well, you know the story about Merrick Garland. He came out with that memo saying that uh, he was going to ask the FBI to work with local agencies to crack down on parents who were engaging in violent acts against school board, even though they couldn't find a single one where that had actually happened. And he was acting on the basis of, a, I guess, a five-page memo from the National School Boards Association. And they said flat out in that memo, we don't teach critical race theory in K-12. And at the same time, Merrick Garland's son-in-law, what's his business? Apparently, he's... Teaching CRC. Exactly. He's got about a 25% market share. He's got kids. So, I mean, they're flat yeah. out lying. And yeah. so I, I, but you said something, uh, maybe you mentioned on air, I'm not sure, the, but only 4% of America knows who BlackRock is. I mean, we're fighting this invisible thing where people are kind of bonking along. We don't know, we don't know who the villains are. Think about how powerful they are from this perspective. BlackRock is either the first, second, or third largest shareholder in 80% of the companies in the S&P 500. In 
that is a lot of sway that they have. One of the most interesting shareholder meetings to me this past year was actually the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Uh, there was two far left shareholder proposals. Warren Buffett. Yeah, Warren Buffett, CEO, longtime you know founder, CEO. Charlie Munger, uh, he's number two. They're they're still going strong at you know at age age ninety and ninety nine, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But what happened was interesting. There was a moment of courage out of a business, and Buffett stood up against two proposals that folks like BlackRock and Larry Fink were supporting. One was on auditing their entire operation for racial justice, whatever that even meant. It was ill-defined. And the other one was an environmental audit of their entire chain and supply chain. And Buffett said, no. Like, how do you think you, Larry Fink, knows more about our operations, our disparate businesses than me, the Oracle of Omaha, right? And so he pushed back. The proposals got between 25 and 30%. But the Wall Street Journal, when they reported on it, said, that's only because there's so many people that have made so much money with Buffett and have fidelity to him. The second he's gone, the, the dike's going to burst. Well, we've, got so, a, we've gotten into an agency. That's my, that's the word. The, the guys, the, the people, the people, men and women that run are CEOs of these big public companies. They're agents of the shareholders and they're hired hands. And with Warren Buffett, he owns 40% of the company. And so he's not an agent. He is the owner. So he, he's acting like an owner, and which is terrific. Um, but then when he goes, we're going to have some person in there who's got a job that's looking at his watch and saying, well, I got four or five years, and so why shouldn't I cave into this? That's the, that's the, the you know, I, this is the Bill Walton show, and we're just filled with uh, lines of action here. We're going <laughs> to, we've got proxy contests, and we've got uh, a, 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 a lawsuit fund. Anyway, I want to become the host for a minute, and I have a question to the non-woke CEO, former CEO, Bill Walton. Um, you talked about this staggering statistic of 80% of the S&P companies having as one of their top three. BlackRock, uh, yeah. BlackRock, yeah, top being three. BlackRock. Um, have we created ourselves our, our own kind of little franchise for and picking winners and losers with the tax treatment of private equity? Should the Republican Party think of changing that now that private equity has become so woke and and equalizing the playing field, and that comes to the regulatory structure. You know, Sarbanes and Oxley, one of those guys was a really prominent Republican. That was a bipartisan bill to really make it tougher for publicly held companies to navigate and benefiting private capital. Is there, Have we created our own monster here? Yes. The tax code is one of the worst places. To, not, I won't say it's the worst place. The tax code is, is where people go to get things done when they can't get a bill passed. And you put all, right. everything in there in the tax code. And, and, you know, one of the big problems with the tax code is we allow interest, we allow deduction on interest that we pay, which creates an incentive to borrow a lot of money. So the tax code incentivizes debts. Uh, the tax code allows private equity people to treat their gains not as ordinary income, which is what we'd have to do, but treat it as a capital gain. So there's a big preference in there, and there's a big preference in there for the hedge funds. And I think that those industries probably are one of the most significant lobbies in town. So to me, it was one of the most interesting places to look if you really wanted to change things is take a look at all the special stuff that's in the tax code and start rooting that out. So yeah, we've, we have created the problem, but we would be Congress and we would be people who were, uh, were lobbied to bring about uh, you know the preferential treatment they've got. My only uh, response to your response would be 
this is the time for the Republican Party to rethink its priorities. And most of all of its leaders uh, who were at the tippy top who left Congress went to private equity. And you're right, there's a lot of allies there. And I'm, I'm not really interested in picking winners and losers. What I'm actually interested in is sending a very loud and clear message as we try to fight for America. Well, the Republican Party ought to be a populist party. We ought, to, we ought to be the people that are left behind in the digital divide. And those are a lot of very strong, smart, able people. Uh, we just have been underrepresented with where things are going. And, uh, you know, the, the problem with, uh, with the Republicans now is that they're still t unfairly or incorrectly tagged as the party of big business. That's not true. It isn't true. And I look, I just was up on the Hill yesterday. I talked to um, a group at the Capitol Hill Club, this swampy of swampy institutions, which I'm a member of and I love. Uh, but the... Uh, but I was asking to pe I was asking to people in the know, and these corporations, Bill, and their PACs, they're still not giving money to any Republicans because they wanted to overturn the election, and they wanted to follow election laws. So we're heading towards a major conflict um, as Republicans get the majorities back without, mind you, really any substantial corporate PAC money. That means they'll get the majority without big corporations for the very first time. I think it could be a very refreshing thing. And to, to motivate the grassroots folks, you know, that say, well, you know, I don't even know what BlackRock is. I'm not an investor in Apple. I just have a small family business and I want to be left alone. Well, A, they don't leave you alone anymore, obviously, at any at any juncture of your cultural existence. But B, it's all going to come for you. When it, when it comes to these big businesses, once the left changes the behavior of the big businesses, they say now your entire supply chain needs to represent exactly what we've talked about, all of the ESG parameters that they ask for a big business. It's going to go down to the medium and small businesses next. And so it's coming for you, so you should be motivated to get involved in this fight right now. Justin Denhoff, thanks. Match Flap, thanks. I've got about another five hours of questions for you guys, but <laughs> we don't have time right now. But I, I think we, we framed it. I think there are lines of action we can take. We can begin to think about raising money to help defend people who are fighting corporations and the government. And we can also get very aggressive about uh, going after individuals, board members that are uh, involved in some really bad stuff. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. All right. Okay, so thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us in the Bill Walton Show. Uh, Matt Schlapp, chairman of the Conservative Action Project and our Conservative uh, You're CPAC. You're so close. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice compliment. <laughs> and uh, Justin Danoff, who's our executive director of the, uh, oh goodness, Justin, uh, uh, National Center for Public Policy. So, guys, thanks, and we'll be back in a few months to see if we can make made any progress since then. Thanks. That's good. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.